Good morning, everyone. If you have been following along with Rise Kids on YouTube, you would have seen that for the past few weeks, I have been in my kitchen cooking up some wonderful sweet recipes which have been helping us learn about God and his word. But today, they've let me out of my kitchen. They've even let me out of Cumnock, and they've brought me all the way to sunny Presswick to talk to you today about embracing your future. And as you've just seen, some of our children have already begun to think about what that future might look like. For some of our young people and young adults, they have gone that step further and they have begun to make plans, whether that's just thinking about their nat fives or their hires or their advanced hires, or even taking those plans a bit more further and making them more concrete by starting at university or college in the next couple of weeks to secure the qualifications that they need in order to achieve that future. I myself love a good plan. I am a planner. I have multiple diaries and notepads where I jot down everything and I have everything worked out where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do, where I'm going to be. To quote a favourite television programme, I absolutely love it when a plan comes together. And you know, I'm not the only one. It says in the Bible that God is a planner. And he has good plans. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster. They are plans to give you a future and a hope. And you know the best thing, the best thing about God's plans is that according to Psalm 33 and 11, it says the counsel of Adonai stands forever. His heart plans are for all the generations. You see, age is not a problem to God. It is, doesn't limit God in any way, shape, or form. It says we've not to let people think less of us because we're young. And even in our old age, we will remain vital and fruitful. This week, I was driving in my car and I was listening to um, UCB radio. And there was an interview going on. And the person being interviewed said this. There is one Holy Spirit. There isn't a two-year-old Holy Spirit, a five-year-old Holy Spirit, a 65-year-old Holy Spirit, a 95-year-old Holy Spirit. There is one Holy Spirit. And God says, I will pour out my Holy Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. You see, from the age of three, I could tell you that I was going to work with children. Okay, I'll be honest. I had two, two possibilities. I was either going to work with children or I was going to be a police officer, okay? But as I've got to know God and I've got to tune in to what his spirit's telling me, more and more he has led me down the road of working with children. That's where I, why I'm here today talking to you guys. The other thing, the police officer thing, well, that was because my mum and my mom especially used to watch police dramas. She loved her police dramas, and one of her favourites was Cagney and Lacey, and I was determined I was going to be probably a joint version of Cagney and Lacey. It says in the Bible that when the spirit of truth comes upon us, he will guide us into all truth. He will not speak of his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. And that's what God did with me. More and more, he whispered into my spirit that I was to work with children. And that's why today I'm an early years practitioner and I'm also the kids pastor here at New Life. 
But when I was training to be an early years practitioner, one of the things I had to do was for every activity I did with my children, I had to fill in these planning sheets. That's probably where my love of planning has come from. These planning sheets are very in-depth. And the first question started with, what was the activity? You, you to put down all these different information. You had to say what your activity was going to be, what children were going to be involved, what you expected the children to learn that day, what equipment you were going to use, was there going to be any qualified member of staff there to support you, and what were the immediate safety concerns. So if I was using scissors, there was always the possibility that a child could get cut. However, the next question went that little bit further. The next question would ask this, what else could go wrong with this activity? You see, for this activity, I had to basically predict the future. And I had to really, really know my children. I had to think about all their little strengths, their weaknesses, all their little quirks. I had to think about the child who really wanted to be part of the activity, wanted to join in, but was really fearful and, and shy and would hold back. And they would just watch and observe until I came and, and encouraged them in. I had to think about the child that was so enthusiastic that the minute you put anything out, they would just jump on it and start ripping it apart to investigate it and not even wait for any clear instruction. I had to think about that child, you know that child, who when they're good, they're very, very good, but when they're bad, oh dear Lord, I need your help. You know, that child who you had to really think what kind of week they were having. Was it a good week? Was it a bad week? Because when they blew, they had the potential to hurt themselves, others, and even myself in the process. So all of that had to go into that planning sheet. These were all the potential things that could go wrong with this mix and this group of children. After that, you had to go and do the activity, and then after the activity had ended, you were to come back and you had to reflect what did go wrong and what went well. You see, with all the best planning in the world, there was things I didn't account for. There was things that in my wildest dreams I could never have planned for. Someone burnt the toast, the fire alarm went off, end of activity. We Jimmy took ill in the middle of the activity, was violently sick everywhere, end of activity. At the start of every year, your teachers and your lecturers get together and we sit down with our planning sheet and our school improvement plan and we plan for the year ahead. We write down when our parents' day is going to be, when our report cards are due in. We write down when we're going to school trips, what our sponsored event for the years are going to be. Everything is written down in that planning sheet. But I can guarantee you that in August 2019, nowhere in our year diary did we write down that in March 2020, all schools would be closed because of a global pandemic. You see, I can't predict the future. None of us can. It's impossible. And even the Bible tells us that. It says that one can devise many plans in their heads. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to go to this school. I'm going to go to that university. But, but, there's always the but. There's that unknown element that we just can't predict or account for. We don't get the exam results that we were hoping for, so we have to reset them or rethink our year ahead. 
we might not get into the right university or college we were hoping for, so we need to go back to the drawing boards and we need to rethink this plan. Even for our youngest children, when the parents apply for a nursery or a primary school, it says, can you write your first choice, your second choice, your third choice? You see, there's no guarantee that you will get exactly what you're looking for. So God says, one can devise many plans up here, but Adonai, God's plans will prevail. You see, with God, nothing derails his plan. Nothing sneaks up in him. Nothing gets in the way. Every day is accounted for. He is the God of future past. He is the God of future present. He is the beginning, the end, the alpha, and the omega. He knows and he sees absolutely everything. It says in his words that every single day of my life is recorded in his book. Even my misdeeds, my missteps, my misdirections, he has planned for to the the T, to the very last millisecond, it is done, accounted for, written down, nothing messes with God's plans. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 in the Message Bible, it says this, how blessed is God, what a blessing is he, he is the father of our master Jesus Christ and he takes us to the high places of blessings in him. Long ago, before he laid the foundations of the earth, he had us in his mind. He had settled in us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we are free from the penalties and the punishments chalked up by our misdeeds. And not just barely free, but abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything that we could possibly need. He even let us in on his plans that he took such great delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, this long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in the deepest heaven and everything on planet Earth is in Christ. And it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Do you want to know why you're here on planet Earth? Do you want to know what your purpose is? Do you want to know what your future looks like? Then this morning, I encourage you to just give everything to God. It says that we make our plans, but he determines every single step we take. When we entrust our lives, when we entrust our hopes, our dreams, our passions, when we place it all in God's hands, it says that those plans, when they align with his, will meet success. And not only that, but you know, the God of the future past, the God, the God of eternity past and the God of eternity future can actually bring peace to that past. He can give purpose to where we are right now and he can bring hope 
to our future. This week I've been reading the story of Gideon and, and I just love the story of Gideon. And if you've never read it, you can find it in Judges chapter um, 6. And I really relate to Gideon because Gideon was a little bit of a coward and, and I'm a little bit of a coward. If you had seen me in primary school, I could guarantee you I would not be standing on a platform with a mic staring at a video camera. I don't even know what I'm staring at. But there is no way you would ever have got me up here. I was a coward. I would run if anyone even spoke to me. That was me. That was who I was. So I totally relate to this story of Gideon. And in Gideon's past, even in his present, in the beginning of this story, there isn't much peace. You see, Isaiah 30 says this, what sorrow awaits for my rebellious children, says the Lord. You make plans that are contrary to mine. You make alliances not directed by my spirit, thus piling up your sins. And this was kind of the situation that Gideon had found himself in. You see, Gideon belonged to the Israelites. And the Israelites were God's people. He was with them. He blessed them. He'd led them out of Israel, out of Egypt. And he'd led them all the way to the promised land. He had provided for everything, everything they were ever going to need. He provided manna from heaven. He provided water from the rocks. He was with them. No enemy would dare touch Israel because God's presence and protection was with them. But you see, sometimes when we live in the presence of God, we get used to the presence of God. We become complacent with the presence of God. And God had warned Israel, look, I love you. You're mine. I've got great plans for your future. And if you listen to me, I'll lead you into a great and wonderful destiny. But don't make alliances with the people around about you because they'll pull you away. Don't worship the gods that they worship because they're false. They'll do nothing for you. But you see, Israel time and time again looked at the people and thought, well, they don't have God, but they seem to be okay. They seem to be doing good. They seem really happy. You know, their sons and daughters look kind of beautiful. I can see them being my husband or my wife. And they decided to kind of make their own plans. You know, God has great plans for our life and every day has been accounted for. But the one thing God will never do is enforce those plans onto us. He gives us the choice. He lays it out for us. He tells us about our future. And he warned Israel, look, there's two ways you can go here. I'll be your spiritual sat-nav. I'll direct you every step of the way. My presence will go before you and with you and behind you. I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. I will lavish you with my love. I'll lift you to the higher placing of blessing and everyone will know it. Or you can choose to go your own way. That way I can't follow. That way I can't come with you. So you won't have my protection. You won't have my provision you'll literally be on your own. But Israel thought about it and they decided, do you know what, we're okay, we're in a good place, our neighbors know us, they love us, we're friends, we'll be all right. And they went off in their own way and God just had to, to step back. But they quickly discovered that life on their own wasn't just so pleasant. The grass on that side of the street wasn't just as green. 
It said Israel did great evil in the sight of God. Time and time again, they disobeyed him. They didn't listen. They worshipped other gods. So for seven long years, Israel lost the favor of God. They lost the blessing. They lost the presence. And it says their enemies come in like swarms of locusts. Every time they planted food, the enemy would come in and they would steal it. They would strip the land till there was nothing left. It said they came in droves of camels, so many that it was impossible to count. They took their goats, they took their sheep, they took their cattle, they took their livestock. They took absolutely everything and left Israel to starve. They had no choice but to flee their lovely home and take to the mountains and try to cultivate the soil there in that rocky, high ground and hide it as best they could from even more that would come in and try to steal it from them. They had nothing. And at the beginning of this story, that's where we see Gideon. For seven long years, all he's known is oppression, starvation, Enemies on every side, no peace. Every day he would wake up wondering, how am I going to get through this day? Where am I going to hide? How am I going to survive? Where will my next meal come from? And you know, maybe like Gideon this morning, you're sitting there thinking, where are you, God? Where is this God of miracles that I've heard so much about? The God who provides, the God who blesses, the God who loves me. Where are you? Because I don't see it. All I see is oppression everywhere. I go from one disaster to the next, to the next, to the next. My enemies are so many. My problems are so many that I, I can't even count them, God. Where is this God? I've heard so much about, do you know, this week, a friend was telling me how their car had broken down and they prayed to God and within a week, they had got a new car. With no money, they had got a new car. Where is this God who provides cars and, and checks and, and food when we need it? Where are you, God? What's up with me? Do you not love me as much as that person? Why are you not meeting my needs? I need that miracle God in my life. That's where Gideon was. That was his reality. But do you know, it says that when it seemed that all hope was lost, when this was going to be his life, just waiting for the day that he would die, Israel called out to God. You see, God couldn't follow them down that road, but it didn't mean he didn't love them any less. It didn't mean that he still had a great plan for their life. He was just waiting on the invitation to come, to be reconnected, and he would immediately get them back on their plan do you know the first thing that God says to Gideon in that face-to-face -face meeting is, Gideon, the Lord is with you. Do you know, he didn't come with a little pointing finger and say, you did this wrong, you did that, you messed up here, you went wrong there, you took that direction when I told you to get this direction. He didn't do that. The Bible says that there is now no more condemnation for them who are in Christ. He didn't come with his arms folded in a big stern voice saying, well, I told you so, didn't I? That's not the God that I serve. That's not the God who has me in his heart. That's not the God who wants to lavish me with his love and welcome me into his family. 
He came with hope. He came with reassurance. He said, the Lord is with you. I'm here. Gideon, I'm here. Elohim, your creator, the one that made you, the one that formed you, the one that knitted you together. I know your name. I know the very hairs in your head. I know everything about you. Gideon, I know your past. I know where you went wrong, but it's okay, Gideon. I am with you. Gideon, I'm here. The Lord is here. El Shaddai, your supplier. Jehovah Jireh, your provider. I'm here, Gideon. Everything has been accounted for. I've got it all. What do you need from me, Gideon? I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm right here. Gideon, I'm here. Jehovah Rothi, the God who heals you, Gideon. What do you need, Gideon? For all those hurtful words, for all those things that you've been through in the past, I am the God that can heal you, body, mind, soul, and spirit. I'm here for you, Gideon. El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, everything you need, everything you desire is yours. He brought tikva. He brought hope. Right there in that wine press, hiding in fear, tikva, hope, had arrived. Do you need hope this morning? He's the God of a future. He's the God of hope. And I'm telling you now, everyone listening to my voice right now, I'm telling you, the all-sufficient one is here. Your provider is here. Your healer is here. What is it you need? The next thing that God says to Gideon is, after assuring him of his his presence, he then declares his future. Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That moment in time, Gideon didn't feel like a mighty warrior. He even argued the point with God. What? God, really? You've just said you're my creator. You've just said you know everything about me. Then surely you know I'm no mighty warrior. God, my family are the least in the whole of Israel, and I am the least in my family. Mighty warrior? Me? But you see, the thing with God is when he looks at you, he doesn't see what you see. He doesn't see what other people see. He sees who he made you and who he created you and who he destined you to be. God looks at you through his future eyes. He sees you as as the mighty warrior. When he looked at Gideon, he didn't see the coward of the county. He saw the mighty warrior. He lifts us up to those high placings of blessings. When he looked at David, he didn't see a tiny little shepherd boy. He saw a king who would take down a giant. When he looked at Esther, he didn't see a little Jewish slave. He saw a queen who would save an entire nation. When God looks at sick people and and hurting people and people tormented in their minds, he doesn't see them like that. He sees them healed and clothed and in their right mind. Because that's who our God is. 
He wants to lavish us with his blessings. He wants to lift us up to those higher blessings. It says in Psalms that he anoints us and blesses us even in the presence of our enemies. That is who God is. Do you know Gideon's very, very first step in taking that, that leap of faith with God was to tear down all the altars, all the false gods that was in his home. And you know, our very, very first step in securing that future that God has for us is the same. It starts right here. We can't move into the things of God if we don't have God within us. We need to be willing to lay down everything that would stop us from coming to God. We need to let go of our pride, let go of our hearts, let go of the past, get rid of all those things. And it might be things, it might even be people that are holding us back. We might have the wrong alliances and that's what's tripping us up. But you see, Gideon realized when he came face to face with God that he had found the real thing. He had found the real deal. Do you know, he was hiding in that wine press, frightened for his life, but when he came face to face with God, he couldn't care less. He forgot that he was meant to be hiding. He forgot that he was starving. He forgot that people called him the coward of the county. You see, face to face with God, all he wanted was more. God, if it's you, God, if it's really you, then don't leave me. Please don't leave me. Just, just stay here. Let, let me stay in their presence, God. Let me just worship before you, God. God, look, I even just want to prepare a meal for you, God. Let, let me go and prepare a meal, but promise me, God, you, you won't leave. Promise me, God, you'll stay here with me, God. Don't go without me, God. So he rushed off forgetting that he was supposed to hide. He just rushed off. He didn't care who saw him, rushed to his cave and grab his pots and his pans and get his wee stove on or his, his campfire, whatever it was. But he took what little he had and he made the best meal that he could just to give it to his God, just to worship at his feet. He gets so caught up in the presence of God. You know, there's a song that says, Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and all of the things will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And that's what he did. He stood there in the light of God's glory and the light of God's grace and he let God speak. I am with you. Mighty, mighty warrior. Do you know, from that day on, Gideon embraced his future. Did he make mistakes? Yes, sometimes. But God was with him. God accounted for those missteps. God kept him in the right plan. And do you know, the people who once called him the coward of the county at the end of Gideon's story saw him through the eyes of God. They saw what God could see all those years back. They saw him as the mighty warrior. And they pleaded with him, Gideon, mighty warrior, be our king. Come lead us. What a transformation. Coward of the county, mighty warrior. Now we want you to be our king. That's what God does for us. 
when we embrace that future with God, when we align our plans with him, when we take his hands, he leads us to bigger and better things. What is it that God's calling you to do? What is it that that spirit is whispering to you this morning? Do you know, maybe some of our children will look back in that little video that we played earlier and years to come and they'll say, that was the spirit speaking to me. I'm now living what God spoke to me way back then at age three or four or five. I'm living my God-given destiny. You can too. And trust your future and trust your hopes and trust your dreams to God and he will go with you and together you can embrace your God-given future. Bless you.